It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. Each week, we look at sports topics locally, some national. We talk some gambling and my favorite segment of the show where you can ask me any question you would like. Rick also has answers to that, that segment as well, but it's, it's Ask Skinny Anything. Rick has made a hashtag of it as well. This is, by the way, the Don't Jump at Jump Shooters edition of the program um, where somehow James Harden got away with it. But uh, as I called you last night, Rick, watching the end of the Miami Heat-Milwaukee Bucks game where, for whatever reason, people like to jump into jump shooters and foul them. It is one of my ba- – ba- you know, I've got some basketball pet peeves. That is one of my main pet peeves. Never jump at a jump shooter. I tell you what, I actually had a couple errands that I had to run, and because of my weird schedule, working overnights and everything, it was just I just had to get it done at that time. So I was actually on the road, not watching the game when it finished that first game. Um, and so you called me, and I didn't know if you were mad at me if I had done something wrong, like work related between. Like you were hot when you called me last night to talk about that final play where they had fouled. Uh, it was Jimmy Butler, I believe, yes. at the end of the game. And yeah, that was. Uh, that was as hot as I've seen you. So that is definitely probably your top pet peeve, I would say, in the basketball world right now. Yeah, and then all of a sudden at the end of the uh, the Rockets game, James Harden jumps in a jump shooter and blocks <laughs> the shot. But uh, yeah, for every one of those, pet, yeah, you got a little lucky there for sure, no doubt about it. We got a lot to get to, do we not? We do, and you know, it, it's so weird to me right now. I think because baseball started so late and the fact that, yes, the Reds stink, but we're still paying attention to the Reds right now. I'm still invested. I'm still watching every night football has completely snuck up on me. The NFL season is just a week away from us, and that doesn't seem real. Like somehow with no preseason for the NFL and baseball starting late and keeping me interested later, I can't believe that college football is really going this week. We had one game last week. We got a decent slate of games this week, and we've got the NFL starting next week. So this is like a return to normalcy for the podcast and betting talk and everything that we do. Yeah, in fact, I had my. I know you don't play fantasy football, but I had the. I'm in two leagues. I've been in the, the same two leagues for probably the last 10, 15 years. Um, and, and we held our fantasy draft last night. That's where I was kind of similar. I'm like, this is really going to happen, isn't it? And then I started, it's funny, I started looking at, at, at the slate of college football, as you mentioned. I think there's actually a game. We're doing this podcast on Thursday morning. I think there's a bad Sunbelt game tonight um, on, on CBS Sports Network. There's a handful of games Saturday. Then I looked at, at next Saturday's slate, and there's probably 15, 20 college football games going. So, um, and then the NFL's, you know, starting next week. And it, 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 it did kind of creep up. But at the same time, it hit home when I did that fantasy draft last night. Kind of probably like with you looking at going, huh, we are going to pull this off, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I was looking at the slate for the NBA games and if there's MLB games that I wanted to bet today. And like you said, heck, Central Arkansas UAB football is on tonight at 8 p.m. <laughs> Might be getting down on that one, too. Heck, South Alabama and South, South Al- at 9 p.m. Who knows? Yeah, that, that's what I was thinking of, the South Alabama game. I didn't know there was a second game. So, actually, you yeah, get well, two games well, tonight. Well, UAB plays Miami next week. Miami, Florida. How about so, that? That's, that's Watching them play Central Arkansas has some meaning tonight, maybe, if you're a complete degenerate and have nothing else to do with your life. So, let me ask you one real quick, because I'm not a uh, fantasy football guy, but uh, did you guys do anything different because of COVID? Did you give like an extra IR spot or are you drafting? No, it, it, it's funny. That? Yeah, we, we, it, we talked about it before the, the draft started and we were wondering if, if uh, we, one of the sites I do it through is ESPN, the other one is CBS. Um, and the guy in our CBS league, we've decided in that league that um, if you drop a player because of COVID, you're allowed to pick that guy back up when he comes off the list. He's untouchable because there's no place to put him on in our 
ESPN League, we actually have an IR spot or actually two of them. And we're hoping that maybe they're going to put it one of those as a COVID spot. If not, I think we're going to do the same thing that if you, if you have a guy go on the COVID list, you can drop him. Now you can tell the league, Hey, I'm dropping him completely. But if you drop him just because of the COVID, you can go back and pick him up. So I think people got to adjust on the fly with that. Gotcha. I would imagine that is a, that is going to wreak havoc on the fantasy football season this year. It's going to be weird. Yeah, for sure. Although, I mean, if you look around the league though, Rick, we haven't had a lot of, a lot of that going on. Now we probably ramp up once you get, once you get guys traveling and teams traveling and games being played. But for the most part, most teams have not had a, a major outbreak of it. They've had a guy here and there, but, but it's been pretty good. Yeah, it really has. Well, let's jump into some NFL talk now to start our podcast. The Bengals on Wednesday signed halfback Joe Mixon to a four-year contract extension through the 2024 season. The deal is worth $48 million and includes a $10 million signing bonus. Mixon was set to enter the final season of his rookie deal this year. Skinny, I ask you, did the Bengals make the right decision by signing Joe Mixon to a four-year extension worth $48 million? They did, and especially the way they structured the contract, Rick. That, that's the part for me that, that shouldn't be lost. I think it, it – and I wrote a column about this, too, on Local12.com. It, um, I'm surprised the Bengals blinked a little bit here when Mixon had his quote-unquote migraines, and even though he said, yeah, they're real, I'm still not believing that. I still believe that was a holdout, and anybody who wants to read the tea leaves can read them how you want. Um, but – yeah, I, they, they structured it great. I mean, they gave him a $10 million signing bonus, and you prorated over five years because um, he signed it now. So you can actually throw $2 million against the cap this year, and then the other $8 million, $2 million of the, each, each of the next years. He gets $27 million over the last three years of his contract and base salary, none of which is guaranteed. In the NFL, for those right. that don't know, base salaries are not guaranteed. Um, so if a team opts to cut you or, or waive you before a season, you lose your salary for whatever's left in your contract. So they really 27 of the 48 mil is in base salary over the last three years. And why that's smart is this. Look, if Joe's playing great and the team is playing great, he's going to get paid that money and still be playing. But let's just say for argument's sake, and I hope this doesn't happen, but for argument's sake, let's just say he – he suffers a catastrophic injury this year or next year, okay, and, and can never play again. Well, then the Bengals, you know, saying after 2021 decide, okay, you know what, we're, we're just going to have to let this guy go. He can't play any longer. And what they would then have to put is $6 million towards the salary cap, which is the last three years of the $2 million prorated, which is not an awful cap, salary cap hit, and they don't have to pay that $27 mil. So what they've done is they've, they've backloaded in, in, in base salary. And for Joe, it's a win because he gets $10 million when he wrote his name on, on the dotted line. Here's the check for $10 mil. Um, it's guaranteed money. It's, 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 it's a security blanket. And, you know, no matter what happens to him, he's going to get paid this year, which is still the last year of his, his rookie deal. It's not much. It's a million plus. And then next year, I think he makes, I want to say, seven or seven mil, something like that in, in, ba- in, uh, in base salary. And so he's, he's going to make that even if he got hurt this year. You're going to try to milk him through another year. So like I said, I think it was a really smart deal for both. I think it shows that they're trying to build weapons around Joe Burrow in that rookie contract. You know, Mixon now is signed through 2024, Tyler Boyd through 2023. Uh, Burrow's in the first year of, of a four-year rookie deal, and they could, you know, give the fifth-year option to him, which they probably will as well when the time comes. So you got five years of Burrow under control. Um, you know, you got T Higgins, you just drafted. So he's under rookie control for four years. And then if AJ Green or John Ross or one of those guys has a good year, you sign him maybe to a longer term deal and you, you do what you should do when you have a, a, a guy on a rookie contract, you, you build pieces around him. It's what the Rams did with Jared Goff. And it was, it was very smart. It's what the chiefs did with Pat Mahomes. And, and it was very smart. And so um, I, I think this is a big piece of that. I, I think it was the right thing to do for all parties, even though in, in a league where, 
running backs normally aren't getting paid any longer. I think it was the right decision, and especially the way they structured the contract. Oh, it's funny you mentioned the Rams because they also have the Todd Gurley example to look at when they right. signed him to a four-year, $60 million extension uh, with $45 million guaranteed. And obviously that's a case where he didn't even have a catastrophic injury, really. He just completely lost a step and was a different guy out of nowhere um, in the middle of his prime or really early in his prime, I would say. So, you know, th- that potential is there for running backs. And I guess I would say it stinks to have – you're the best player on your team be a running back. Like ideally, if you could choose your best player, you would make him a, a quarterback, a left tackle, a receiver. Right. It just so happens in the Bengals case, Joe Mixon probably is their best player, or at least he's right there in the conversation. He is a legitimate weapon, a threat, a guy they need to, to be at their best. I hate paying that much money for running backs. It is a lot of money, but I do think this is about as well as the Bengals could do because you weren't, you weren't going to get Joe Mixon on the cheap. I mean, no, it, right. it just wasn't going to happen. There was no way to do it without spending some money. You give them the $10 million signing bonus. I think that's a little more than the Bengals typically do with signing bonuses. They're usually more of a of structured in the contract later team, I feel like, as opposed to giving you the money up front. But he gets a nice little chunk of change, and then they can get out of this. Like you said, I mean, really, you just look at the first three years of a deal now in the NFL for the most part when you're kind of factoring that's right. the money. That's exactly it. And in this case, the fourth year of the deal is actually a team option. So the Bengals have the choice whether they want to pick up that final year of the deal at $9.6 million. You whack that off the end of this thing, it becomes, you know, three years, $38 million. It's a little bit more attractive. And then also, according to Spotrack.com, a website that tracks all these contracts, they say there's a potential out after two years. So in 2022, the Bengals could get out uh, at just $20.5 million with $6 million of dead cap money at that point. So definitely a little bit easier to swallow there. There are outs for the Bengals here. They're not completely screwed if this becomes a worst-case scenario. And, and by the way, they're also not paying Joe Mixon at the end of of his prime. He is still on the rise. He is still, you know, at, at the, the full height of his powers. There's no reason to suggest he's going to have a rapid decline aside from, you know, recent history of running backs, which is, is always a possibility. So I think the Bengals went about this as, as smart as they could have done so. At the same time, if certain, certain people want to say you should just never pay running backs this much money, I understand where they're coming from with that as well. Yeah, but, but again, I, I think that's where everybody sees that raw number of 48 mil, and that's where you can say you spent too much, but it's really not 48 mil. It could be 48 mil, yes. But, but, um, but only it would be, be that if he's worth it. Yes, that, and, and that's, that's great. That's a win-win, right? right I mean, it, sure. it, if he's worth it, you're going to want him around. If he's not, you're going you're gonna to let him go and not have to put a lot towards the cap. And I think when you mentioned the Gurley deal, the problem there was there was so much guaranteed money that it, that it made him look foolish. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. Well, speaking of the Bengals skinny, they held an inter-squad scrimmage inside Paul Brown Stadium on Sunday. The game was won by the defense, 22-13, to with those weird scoring rules, how they do that offense versus defense type situation. What stood out to you after watching some live action from the Bengals in an inter-squad scrimmage? Not much, um, <laughs> other than Ryan Finley stinks. I mean, he's just – he's so bad. I mean, he's just, he, he should have been intercepted three times. Um, well, what really about the nobody... other guy throwing passes? That's what everyone wants to know about. How did Joe Burrow look? He, he, the, the thing I, I, that impressed me about him was his first three passes, he threw two really ugly incompletions. He hit C.J. Uzama in the back on a slant and threw behind, I think it was Uzama again, on another pass. And you're like, oh boy, not very sharp tonight. And then proceeds to rattle off eight straight completions. And I, I think that's the thing about 
about him you're going to like is he may start a game one for eight and he's going to keep slinging it and all of a sudden he's going to go seven for his next seven and you're going to say, whoa, wow, what happened to that slow start? I just think he's that kind of guy that puts that stuff behind him really well. He missed, he missed some plays that, that I think he's going to hit on in the regular season. I think we talked about this a little bit last week and I've seen him do it in camp where when a play breaks down and it goes off script, He's really good at throwing on the run. He barely missed two guys doing that. He missed T. Higgins coming across the back of the end zone from about 30 yards out where he just let him a hair too far to the sideline and T. couldn't get his, his feet in. I think that's just a timing thing. And honestly, maybe he just made a bad throw on the run. But I, I think you see that skill set that he, he sees the rush, feels the rush, and, and is able to, to escape to buy time. And when he does, he's not just looking to throw it away. I mean, he'll throw it away at the last second. He's looking to make a play out of it. Um, and he's probably going to throw an interception or two this year doing that. And probably throughout his career, he's going to throw an interception or two doing that. But I think he's also going to make some, some big plays doing it as well. Uh, I, I think the thing that's unfortunate, and Joe mentioned this after the, 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 the thing is, I just don't know if he's got a total feel for a live rush yet. He even talked about he wanted to – he asked Zach Taylor, he wanted to get hit because he wants to know what that feels like before his first NFL game. Because I think he understands fully that it's all fun in games now where they got to pull up or move around you or you can step through it. It ain't going to be fun in games when you're holding on to the ball, holding on to the ball. And I think that's the thing that we're going to see in the regular season. You're going to see him hold it too long a couple of times just because he doesn't have a complete feel for what that pass rush in the NFL is like. Um, and, and so, for me, there was that. I mean, A.J. Green didn't play. John Ross didn't play. Auden Tate didn't play. So, you're down, you know, arguably three of your, what, five best wide receivers. Um, there's no tackling again. So, you can't tell if the young linebackers could tackle or not. I thought Jermaine Pratt flashed. He, he looked pretty good in coverage, especially on a, on a deep ball down the field. And, and really, in a, in a game where it, it's hard to stand out just because it's not completely real, Tony Brown in, in, in the, at the cornerback position, and don't forget they were without Mackenzie Alexander. They were without Darius Phillips. Trey Waynes is obviously sitting there in a sling, so you got a bunch of guys back there trying to make a roster. Um, he stood out because he, he, he jumped in front of a couple of Ryan Finley passes and probably should have intercepted him. And then you also had a breakup of, of a Joe Burrow pass. So it's just, it's so hard because it's not real. It's not live. The whistle blows as soon as somebody gets touched, but yeah, for some of that, the, the thing about Burrow, I, I just, I, he, to this point, there's not been one time I've walked away going, yeah, I don't know about that guy. Yeah. I, I think that guy's gonna be pretty good. I'd love to be in there for the conversation that he had with, with the coaching staff of like, yeah, you know that homophobic turnstile you have out there at, uh, at right tackle? I'm a little bit concerned about how that's going to work out for me. Can you go ahead and just let me get hit so I know what that's going to be like, that just seeing guys come right into my face and, and mush rush me? I, I, I need to get a feel for that ahead of time because that guy sucks. Yeah, well, he's, he's going he's, to – I tell you, the one good thing he's good at, Rick, he's really good at scrambling to his left and, and rolling that way. And, and that's where when a guy rolls around Bobby Hart's side, he's going to have to bail out the other way. And uh, uh, as opposed to when Andy Dalt would scramble left, it would be a, a, a throwaway or just a run out of bounds. He's actually really good at quickly turning his shoulders and, and getting rid of the football and getting rid of it accurately. So he better get used to it because it's coming. Hashtag cut Bobby Hart. Uh, we talk- <laughs> We, let's switch gears here. We talked about last week whether the Reds would be buyers or sellers at the MLB trade deadline. As it turned out, the team made a few moves to try and bolster its bullpen and lineup as they swapped Josh Van Meter and Stuart Fairchild for Diamondbacks reliever Archie Bradley and some cash. They also flipped minor league pitcher Packy Naughton, which is kind of a bummer because I would have liked to have seen that guy make it. I've always loved that name since they've had him in the organization. Yeah, and the player to be named later for Los Angeles Angels outfielder Brian Goodwin. With the Reds sitting at 16-21 and and six and a half games back of the Cubs in first place, did their new additions matter at all, Skinny? 
I think Archie Bradley did because I think we can safely say they needed at least another bullpen arm. The, the Goodwin one does nothing for me. Um, he's another left-handed hitting outfielder. That strikes out that, all the time. Yeah, he struck out 129 times, I think, in 419 at-bats two years ago. Or and, he's last on a, year, rather. and he's on a worse pace this year, striking out a, over a third of his at-bats. Well, how about his first at-bat uh, in Wednesday night's game? Two-two pitch runners on first and third where you just need to put a ball in play to score a run. Strike three right down the middle. I mean, he, he's, he's learned from the best. That's this team's approach at the plate. They're really good. <laughs> They're really good at taking strike threes. And then everybody wants to fuss about the, the strike zone. Swing the bat, man. That's what it's in your hand for. Yeah, that, that one I, I just don't get. I mean – um, the only wait, thing wait. I can see is he's a lefty with a little bit of pop. He does have a really high um, percentage of barreled balls. He's, he's hitting some balls hard this year, and you're putting him in Great American Small Park. That's the only yeah. thing I can th- think is they, maybe they think he has a little more upside in that, that stadium. All right, play, play this game with me then for a second, Rick. It feels like they've made Jesse Winker the full-time DH, right? And that's right. fine because and he, he should he's be. not, and he should be. He's not yeah. a great, great outfielder. But when Nick Senzel comes back, He's in center. Shogo's in left. Castellanos is in right. Where does this cat play? Yeah, I mean, I, I would assume he is just an extra bat for when Nick Senzel inevitably goes back on the DL yeah, for the good, 150th good, time of his career. Good, or good Shogo Akiyama goes for another 0 for 20 stretch and can't get on bay. Or, you know, some. I assume it's just another bat because they've been struggling so much. And, yeah. and by the way, it's not a very good bat. It's just another no, and, and they didn't add flip, the island of misfit toys. Right, and they didn't flip any key parts to get right. him either. I'll give you that part. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like they made a big move here. It was just a right. guy. Yeah, it's just a guy. Um, speaking of Senzel, is it is it me or does it feel like it's been an eternity since he's been on the COVID list? Yeah. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know. I, I don't either. It's been just evaporates. But I don't know if maybe they just assume, like they forget that it was COVID that he actually went on the DL with and they just assume he's hurt again. And they're like, yeah, I, I mean, he's never going to be healthy anyway. So I, I know there was a report, uh, I think, from the Athletic yesterday or the day before that he's been working out at Prasco. So maybe he's, cl- I would assume he's close to coming back. I would hope so because the, the season's quickly running out of time. Yeah. I mean, I feel bad for the guy. I really do that he can't stay on the field. But at this point, if you're a Reds fan or if you're uh, a Reds front office person, I don't see how you can really count on him going forward as being a serious part of your team. It, it's weird because, man, two, two years or so ago, it felt like when, when you were before all the free agent signings in this offseason, like, okay, the rebuild's on its way. Senzel's the first big part. And now yeah, what? He was an untouchable. He, yeah. And now what do you – so was, remember, so was Taylor Trammell, by the way. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just, well, he just he got traded again. wasn't. Yeah. Yeah. He just got traded again, by the way. Yeah. That wasn't I mean, as big of a, a loss as people made it out to be. No, I, I, I told you at the time. You said I thought at the time, it was yeah. A, it was, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't. And it, I think some of all this is starting to show me is I, I, I'm really not sure that top down that organizationally they don't need to make some changes because I think their evaluation of guys is horrible. It is. Horrible. It's terrible. I mean, uh, our buddy Mo Egger went on a, a couple of rants yesterday. He was pretty fired up during his show um, talking about this stuff and just the, the overall disorganization of this organization and the, the struggles they've had to during this rebuild, one, draft the right guys, two, develop those guys, and, and three, keep the guys as they become – MLB players it just it just hasn't worked out I mean it's what we were promised all along when they started losing all those games years ago and and started trade away some of the bigger pieces in exchange for prospects and it just hasn't worked out really at all they have not developed hardly anyone I'll be honest and I know that people probably want to give everybody a pass because of this shortened season and the strangeness of the season and all that 
But if this team doesn't make the playoffs, um, I think everybody goes. I think Dick Williams should go. Nick Kroll should go. David Bell should go. Let's just start fresh because it's obviously not working. Now, now maybe they flip the script on this. Maybe the win on, on Wednesday night is the starting point. But I felt like the, I felt like last week the doubleheader sweep was the starting point. And then yeah. following it up with the win against the Cubs on Friday, I okay, three in a row. Okay, you, got, you got your aces coming up on the next day and end up splitting a doubleheader, getting bombed on Sunday, getting bombed by the Cardinals twice. And every time they take a stride and you want to feel good, like, okay, there's talent. And I think there is talent. There's some talent there. They're going to turn the corner. And then they slip back. And, and guess what now, Rick? You're to the point where anymore this year you can't slip back or you're done. Yeah, you, you, it's to the point where they don't have to be perfect, but they have to be really damn good the rest of the way. I mean, they, yeah. they can't be an okay team at this point. They have to be pretty good to, to uh, make up some ground. And, you know, the, obviously they still have a chance at the playoffs. They're what, a game and a half, two games out of, of the, the last – Yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think a sub-500 team in the NL makes it. I think 28, 29 wins makes it. Um, so that's your target number. So they've got to win, you know, 13 more games. Um, and they've got how many? I'm doing this off the top of my head. They got 23 like left, so they need to yeah. go 13 and 10 the rest of the way. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's, you know, not that that's it's an doable. extraordinary mark, but you no. got to win some games. You can't right. be an under 500 team anymore. And there's nothing really about this team to this point that suggests that they're better than what the record shows. I mean, we're I agree all just you. going off the idea that we think they have talent. I mean, they have no, not you're shown right. at any point this year that they are a team that is equipped to compete at the top of the division. They do have three really good starting pitchers one of who gave up six runs in the first inning the other day. So, you know, I still think Sonny Gray is great, but it's well, not like they lights out all the way. And you know what? I, I'm just starting to wonder if Luis Castillo is ever going to be more than a middle rotation guy. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you what, he's, he doesn't look like – and the thing about it was his, his deal always seemed a little bit smoke and mirrors, like a little bit Johnny Cueto-esque to me because, yes, he has a good fastball, but he ri- relies so heavily – on the changeup, change fastball yep. changeup, fastball changeup. And it's just like in the major leagues, a relatively straight fastball is tough to throw that often and be successful. Guys are going to hit you occasionally when you do that, even if you're really good. Yeah, I, I, and I, I, I do think he's got stuff, but I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking, Buster, you need to come up with a third pitch on a more consistent basis because this just ain't working at this point. Yeah, he's going to keep you in some games, and he's going to have some of those games where he strikes out 11 or 12 and you're going to go, wow. But it just it, – it, to me, I've always said I think he's got ace, ace stuff, but it just isn't there consistently enough to, to prove it. See, I don't, I don't even know if he really has ace – I mean, when you don't even yeah, maybe have I'm really wrong. a third pitch um, yeah. and any type of really reliable breaking ball, in my opinion, I don't know that you have great stuff. He's a great fastball. Um, and yeah. then that changeup to complement it is outstanding as well. But I just think as a starter in this league, you need more than that, especially when your fastball – you know, it, it's interesting because he's the one guy in this rotation right now that is really kind of the anti-Reds philosophy when it comes right. to pitching. They're, they're all about the high spin rate, and he's not a guy who gets that at all, even on his fastball. So um, I think I, I, I wouldn't be, I, be surprised to see them try to move Castillo in, you know, in, in the coming year or whatever, because, just because I don't know that he really fits in their plan. And I agree with you. I don't know that he's that great. Yeah, it's it, 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 that's been the disappointment because like I, I think we all believe there's three top-level guys, and I'm not sure that we can get to a third anymore. Yeah, I, I would agree. So uh, circling back to the original question, the new additions matter. I mean, it, it's fine that they did them. I don't think it hurts them by any stretch of the imagination. They definitely need another arm in the bullpen. But do they matter in terms of helping this team compete? Uh, not really. I, I mean, I, I don't 
I don't think so. Yeah, here's what here's what matters. It what matters is is a. Eugenio Suarez hits like he's supposed to hit. That Mike Mustakas does what you signed him to do. That Nick Castellanos stops swinging at, at sliders five feet off the plate. Um, and he's done good things, but my gosh, does he have some terrible at bats? Um, what matters is that Rizal Iglesias does his job, which he did on Wednesday night. So let's give credit where credit's due. That Michael Lorenzen pitches like the 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 third key guy in the bullpen you expected him to be. In his most recent outing, he was. In, the, in that blowout loss, he came in and threw, what, four? I'm doing this four shutout innings, I believe. Um, so that's a good sign. And, and hopefully th- those are the things that you need to have happen. And if they can, this team, I think, does work its way back to the playoffs. And then I think in this goofy year, anything's possible. But um, you're right. To this point, you, you are what you are. Sticking with baseball for another topic here, CBSSports.com's Matt Snyder wrote a column titled, Why It's Time for MLB to Ban the Shift. His argument is pretty simple. Batting averages are getting too low, and the rate at which players are getting robbed of hits just feels unfair at this point. He proposes that baseball implements rules that limit infielders to actually playing in the infield, as well as requiring two infielders on each side of second base. Skinny, what do you think? Does MLB need to do something to limit the effectiveness of the shift? No, maybe the dumbest column of all time. No, you, put, you, you should be able to put your, posi- your players where you, where you feel like they – I mean, so does a shortstop have to play in this little circle and the second baseman has to play in this little circle, or can they take a step this way because it's a pull hitter or that way because it's not a pull hitter? I mean, that's that is yeah. honestly one of the dumbest arguments I've ever heard in my life. How about we do this? How about when the shift's on, you hit away from the shift? How about you flip one the opposite way every once in a while? Not going to kill you. It won't hurt you. Oh, I know, because you don't get paid for it. You get paid for hitting the ball to the ballpark in the three-outcome game. Take a walk, strike out, hit a home run. How about, you, how about you as a hitter adjust to that? How about with two strikes, you shorten up and put one in play somewhere? Nah, can't do that because it's not what the analytics tell you. That, honestly, this whole conversation of people talking about outlawing the shift is the dumbest damn thing I've ever heard. Just because, again, where, where is a player then going to be allowed to play? Hey, you're the first baseman. You can only play in this little spot right here. Well, I want to guard the line late in the game. Can't do it because you shifted. I mean, what, it, what, no, so what he, constitutes so he, a shift and what isn't? So, so he, he clearly said that, you know, he used to be on the other side of this argument. He's recently changed his mind. And he said he doesn't, you know, you can't, he doesn't want to take it so far of like drawing circles on the field, like you're saying, to keeping a person, players in a certain zone. He said simply, you can't be putting your infielders into the outfield. They're only allowed a certain, you know, a certain amount of uh, space past the base path, I guess. You would, they would have to technically play in the infield. And then two, uh, you have to have two fielders on each side of second base. So you can shift them wherever you want, but you just can't put three fielders on the same side of the base. And stupid. I, stupid. I have always been of the same opinion as you have. You just got to be better than that. You know, take what they're giving you, hit it the other way, uh, beat the shift. If, if you can't beat the shift, you're just not good enough and that's on you. And I think that's the right way to look at it. It's, but at the same time, it's not changing, right? And I think the, the shift is what's contributing to a lot of the three outcome game where you only have home runs, strikeouts, or walks because guys are just saying, look, any line drive where I hit the ball hard, they have it so well scouted. They have so much data at this point. And hitting MLB pitching is hard. Like, I'm with you, Skinny. I'd love to just tell the guys, hit it the other way, hit it through the gap, hit it where they're not. But they clearly, can do that. I don't they, think they can, Skinny. Yes, I really no, they, don't think they, they can. They can, but they're not paid for that. What they're paid for is home runs. That's what they're paid for. But I think there's a reason guys are gravitating towards that, and I think it's because there's just not as much – 
there's not as much upside to just hitting the ball into a gap somewhere. And you know so, what I'd love to see? I'd, I'd love to see a, a, a power hitter when the shift's on, bunt one, a left-handed power hitter especially, bunt one down the third baseline where there's nobody, or even like even just, just kind of nudge one down the third baseline. Sure. And then but, literally, and then, hey, out, and then skip the first base. Just literally skip the first base to make sure, fun of it. Everyone always said that about Dunn and Griffey and everything, and that's great. But if you do that, one, it doesn't do anything to increase my entertainment as a fan. And that's what I'm here for, honestly. I only care about my entertainment. And two – does it increase your chance to get a base runner and maybe win a game? That's fun no, to me. It, it increases your chances to get a base runner, but it increased your chance to win a game because you just took the bat. They took the bat out of the hands of your best hitter. They won that battle if, they, if you bunted with one of your power hitters. So, he got on base. He got on base. So what? He's staying at first base. Your next guy's going to strike out or ground out into a double play. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to. doesn't work the way that everyone used to think it did. The numbers. Oh, I think it. See, I think it. I, I think it does, and that's where I, I think. I think. I think everybody's gone to the extreme that small ball doesn't work small ball doesn't work if that's all you do but i don't think this way works either if it's all it is is a three outcome game anymore but you can't be half pregnant with the math like the math is what it is so it's either you believe in something so statistically well, you're going to play the science but, but, every but, single time hear me out I, i'm gonna do I, here's some math too and i i can play games with math as well everybody hates the stolen base right because it's a potential out how about, in, how about if we do the math of if a guy steals a base, he gets an extra total base, which then increases his slugging percentage, which then increases his OPS. And if he gets thrown out, then, yeah, we take that initial base away from him. I'm fine with that. I want to see what happens to OPSs then. Because yeah. that's all we look at anymore is we look at OPS. That's all we look at. Okay? The stolen base has its place in the game, but it's been so relegated because, oh, my God, you might make it out. Yeah, and I also might get into scoring position as opposed to the big fat ass behind me hitting into a double play because he hit into the shift. Yeah, I, and I mean, I think some of that is aside from the conversation about the shift. I'm not saying I want to ban the shift, but I will say the game is getting tougher and tougher to watch. Where and can the outfielders play? Wherever can I they play want. Them? Wherever they want. I don't care about that. I, and look, I'm okay. not being, I'm not like gung ho about this. I'm not even, I don't even know that I would say I'm on this side of it. But to his point, I do agree that. From a fan's perspective, like this, this is taking the hardo approach of being like, you just got to be better. You, you got to do better. It's, yes. it's the way the game is yes, played. Yes, you do. Which you is do. Fine. That's, that's fine. I get what you're saying. I'm on that side for the most part. And if I was playing the game, I would probably say that. However, I don't play anymore. I'm a fan. I just want to watch good baseball. This is not good baseball. I think there are, I do think to his point, taking the shift out of the game would make it a more entertaining watch for fans. And if that's the case, then I think it's something worth considering. I'm not saying you need to well, do it, but I do think I don't think it's a ridiculous conversation to have Rick, because the game is so unwatchable right now. But it's unwatchable because you get guys striking out 13, 14, 15 times a night. The shift is not going to change that. But I, I think it might to a certain extent because you How? might quit. They're striking you might out quit, 13, 14 times a night. You might quit valuing guys that can only hit the ball out of the ballpark. You might, you might have the guys that can, you know, the, the Sean Casey's of the world who can hit a line drive in the gap now might be more valuable if, they, if they're not allowed to shift into a way where the statistics tell them exactly where to stand. Because here's this crazy thing, Skinny, and he brought this up in the, the column, which I agree with. The crazy thing to me is how often you see three guys on one side of the infield, uh, maybe an outfielder moved completely over to where you literally just have one sole dude there on the left side of the infield 
for a left-handed hitter, right? And then he hits a line drive the opposite way, and guess where he hits it? Right into the chest of that one infielder over on the other side because the analytics and the stats and the research they do is so damn good, they know exactly where to stand. And you can say, just be better, hit it where they're not, but I'm telling you, hitting MLB pitching with the movement and the stuff that these guys have, and they're all throwing 95 miles an hour plus, bare minimum at this stage of the game, it's probably not as easy as we think it is then. It just isn't. Or let's find the hitters that can do that. Or let's find the hitters that that, that, that are just up there jacking out of the ballpark. Maybe they don't. I don't think they exist. Well, let me ask you this. In in football, back in the day in football, right? Football evolved. Sports evolved. Basketball has evolved. All sports evolved. So football back in the day used to be, hey, if you want to run the football, line up in a two tight end set and I formation and one wide receiver. And then all of a sudden coaches started getting smart and they went, you know what? That puts a lot of defenders in the box. How about if we spread people out and put two guys out on the perimeter on one side and two guys on the perimeter on the other side, they have to match them up and they need to have a safety to help. And suddenly it's five on five in the box. We can run the football more effectively out of a spread formation. It, should that then be outlawed of no, we got to put everybody back in. We need the tight end uh, to be tight. Now we need, we need only one receiver on each side anymore. Skinny. We can't have two on one side. No, I'm going to tell you why that's a terrible argument because no, it's because not. It is because here, here's, here's where the, the real, change happened for football and, and what changed it the the way they officiated the game and the way that they call pass interference every time you put the ball in the air that's why everyone's spreading the field out more often it's because a rules change made they it, found, more no, they fun found it to be watch. more effective and they've right because of effective. the rules change made it more fun to watch which is exactly what this would be outlawing the shift it would make the game more entertaining to watch and have people hitting the ball all over the place a little bit more as opposed to striking out as much it just would Look, in, ba- in basketball, they put the three-point line in. What have teams decided to do? We're just going to down out there and shoot three-pointers all day. It's changed the game. you got to evolve with it. If people are going to shift on you, evolve with it. Fix it. I mean, again, that would be great, but I don't really care how you get it done. I want the game to be more entertaining for me, the fan, because I'm not involved in this coaching or the competition or the hardo aspect of well, you just got to do it right. I'm involved in I want to see entertaining baseball, and this baseball well, sucks to watch. You know what used to be entertaining? Honestly, the stolen base used to be extraordinarily entertaining. I mean, it was a great match of, of wits and wills and all of those things. The, the, the first to third, the hit and run used to be really entertaining I to watch. I think this stuff would all bring that stuff's some gone. That back. Mm. I think this would bring some more of the small ball back nah, if you, that's, if you were that's not what the analytics tell you. And you had more, more uh, light-hitting guys, guys that couldn't hit the ball out of the ballpark because they still had value. Those guys have no value anymore. I go back to, again, is it going to change guys and teams striking out 13, 14, 15 times I think a it night? would, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I really don't. I think some of it, too, is guys just, I mean, back in the day when you threw 92, you threw hard. Now you got a bullpen full of 98-mile-an-hour guys, and it's just that, – that's made the game extraordinarily difficult, too. Right, right, exactly right, which, again, so goes about, back to about, the point of it I, makes it harder to hit it exactly where you want. So if they've got the move, numbers that tell you your tendencies of where you hit it every single time, they're going to be able coaching. to take you away That's good scouting. Well. That's good I scouting. Agree, I agree with that. But at the end of the day, that does nothing for me as the fan. Well, I, I, so let's, I'll tell you what we can do then. Let's make hitting easier. Let's move the mound back another foot. Again, th- you're just changing the rules. Why wouldn't you just change the shift rule then? Because, again, you can put your fielders – you should be able to put your fielders wherever you want to put them. But you should be able to hit the pitcher from 10 feet closer if it's that. I mean, you're saying the same thing. You're changing the rules either way to make the game easier and more entertaining for the fan, which, I, which ultimately I'm not saying I agree with, but I Dude, think all it's the- worth talking about. All the rules constitute is you put eight fielders out there. That's all the rules constitute. Is you yeah, put eight and, fielders and all out they, there, or, and all they or technically not technically not with the pitcher. Yeah, but again, you can put those eight fielders wherever you want to put them. It, okay. All the constitu- 
but you can't put your pitcher wherever you want to put them. But you're saying now move the pitcher back to make it easier for no, hitters. I'm it, saying put the fielders. You're only allowed two on each side of second base to make it easier for hitters. I mean, I'm not saying you should do that, but again, I don't think it's a crazy conversation. I think it's. I'm going to go back to it's stupid. All right, fair <laughs> enough. I don't think we're going to change our mind on that one. All right, let's switch gears here. A little college basketball. Michigan basketball transfer David Julius has been granted a waiver by the NCAA and is eligible to play immediately this season for Cincinnati. DeJulius, who has two seasons of eligibility remaining, entered the transfer portal after averaging seven points and 1.5 assists and 20.9 minutes as a key rotation player last season. Skinny, what do you think having DeJulius eligible means for UC's overall upside? I think we talked about this a couple of months ago or whenever actually he did enter the transfer portal and, and, and announced he was coming to UC. And, and I think we talked in terms of, of all the new parts for Xavier and UC, who I think we picked who are the key new parts. And I think for us, it was whether or not DeJulius became eligible. Um, I, I mean, do you expect him to come in and average 15 a game? No, but can he be a double digit score and, and kind of be a solidifier? I think he can. So I think it's, I think it's huge for them that he is eligible, especially because they do have so many new parts and, and based on what they lost on top of it. Yeah, they're really high on uh, freshman point guard Mikey Saunders that's coming in, but that's a freshman having to run your team. And it's an inexperienced team and a group with a lot of new pieces trying to gel. I know everyone's always excited about the new guys, the next guy up and everything. And, and at this time of the year, everyone has that ability to, to have that optimism. But I think it would have been a different story when you were midway through the season and you had a true freshman running point with an inexperienced team. I think having DeJulius there it will be a really uh, stabilizing force for the Bearcats this year and something that they really need. It's a lot of pieces to pull together and get to play right. You know, maybe I'm underestimating John Brannon's ability here as a coach. I think they're still probably outside that top group of like Houston, SMU, um, maybe throw Memphis in that group. I, U, USF people are high on this year too, but I think UC now is definitely a top half of the AAC Yes. Oh, yeah. With David Julius eligible. If he wasn't well, eligible, I think you run the risk of uh, maybe you're outside that top half of the comp of the conference this year. Maybe you're more in that mid like five to seven range potentially. Yeah. And especially in a year where uh, I think there was a report yesterday that, that the conversation is that they're going to push it, the start of the basketball season back to at least November 25th. But if you want to do the nuclear option, let's just say that, that we don't until January, which is what the Pac-12 is going to do. I, I don't think that's going to happen, but you're going to end up losing probably a handful of non-conference games. So I, I don't know if you have time to let a freshman kind of get through some growing pains of non-conference and then be ready for your conference and try to get you to an NCAA tournament. I think you got to hit the ground almost running this year just because of, of the timing element of it all. And so I think for that reason, having an experienced guy like the Julius is huge for UC. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. I think Keith Williams is going to be their best player. I think most people would probably expect him to be their leading scorer, but it wouldn't surprise me because Keith Williams has always kind of taken that uh, Robin third role, yeah, Robin role to to someone else's Batman, and and wanted to be that second guy. It wouldn't surprise me at all if David Julius, because of his his game, he's just more assertive. His personality is more assertive. If he ends up being the leading scorer, and Keith Williams is is kind of his sidekick in terms of offense. So, I, I it's huge for them to get him eligible right away. The only thing that stinks for UC is if you waste that on a season that you know, maybe you lose some of your non-conference or most of your right. non-conference or something like that. That would really be a bummer to lose a year of eligibility if it's not a real season, not a full season where you get a chance to compete regularly. But um, for the most part, the way things are going right now, it looks like we're going to have a fairly normal season with some type of non-conference slate. Yeah. I mean, if we start on the 25th of November, which is right after Thanksgiving, um, 
you know, maybe you take, maybe you only lose a couple of non-conference games. You can cram a couple of the ones you would have lost into that, you know, November, December slate where you, you know, maybe you're only playing a game on, on, a, on a certain week or a couple of games. You, maybe you play a third game. Um, hopefully that's the case. Um, I, I, if, if you were to tell me right now that that's the option we're going to get is starting November 25th, um, I think I'd take it and run to the bank. The only thing I don't understand about that is the two dates, the two early dates they have on the slate right now are November 10th, which is the original start date. Right. Or November 25th. And, you know, I, I did a podcast on my Xavier site, uh, musketeerreport.com, with Mario Mercurio, who is the associate athletic director for men's basketball at Xavier. And he does all their non-conference scheduling. And he was, he mentioned the point of it's only, you know, a couple weeks later at that point. So really what has changed with regards to the coronavirus or COVID protocol or anything like that? Probably nothing. Now the difference and the reason they're, they're targeting that later November date is that a lot of students are going to be leaving campuses at that point. Yes. That's and not, and not coming back until the next semester. Yeah. A lot of them are doing that. Yeah. So they feel they can create more of like a quote unquote bubble type setting in that scenario. But to Mario's point, he brought up the fact that the, the students are already on campus with, the, the your guys at your school right so like they there's already some type of interaction with class and stuff going on with the people that are there um and in terms of playing the basketball game like a team coming in from out of town you're gonna go from like a hotel to a bus to inside the back of the arena there's gonna be no fans there you're gonna come in you're gonna play a game you're not even gonna do the locker room you're gonna go right back out to the bus you're gonna leave that's gonna be about as bubbled scenario it's not like they're gonna be out on campus walking around mingling with students or going through a student section at the end of the game or anything like that to, to high five people. So there's really not going to be any interaction with students on campus anyway for opposing teams coming in to play a game. I don't understand. It would seem like the trade-offs there would be less beneficial making players cram more games into a, a shortened slate there in, in November and early December. I think you just started on time and and see how far you can go with this thing. Yeah, well, I, I wish you would, and I wish they would. But again, they're all living in the whole fear realm of, oh, second wave's coming, and we got to be ready. I, I'm sick of the fear realm of this, by the way. I'm, I'm totally sick of it. Um, I, I think it's proven out. I mean, I, I'm seeing it across you, – you're seeing all these positive COVID tests, tests, right, in college campuses. My daughter goes to Kentucky. She's been tested twice. Uh, everybody that came had to be tested once, and then she's in a sorority, and all the sorority and fraternity people were – or part of the second wave um, just because they interact more with each other. I think there was, I don't know, Rick, 150 positive tests, but I didn't hear of any serious illness that came from it. Yeah. You t- that's all we keep hearing is positive test, positive test, positive test for that age group. What, what are we hearing serious is happening to any of them, Rick? Can you help me with this? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not keeping up enough with it. I know there's been some isolated stories on, on both sides. I see anecdotal stuff. I, I don't know. I don't think anyone knows exactly what to expect or what's going to happen. I know this. We take a lot of risks in our lives, right? I mean, yes. there's, there's inherent risk in everything that we do. Um, telling elite athletes that there's a, a, a minuscule percentage chance that they could um, be seriously ill with this is, to me, I don't know if it I, – I just don't know. I don't know the right answer. I, I, to me, it, w- it would be worth the risk to go ahead and play my sport and and live life fairly normally you know what Um, i'd like it to be i'd like it to be my decision though if i'm that kid i want it to be my decision yeah and i mean with those with sports i understand you've got a big organization you have to make the decision for everybody it's a little bit different there but again like certain things like the the lack of logic that we apply to some of these things like again starting on november 25th as opposed to november 10th i don't think there's much logic being applied there especially after talking to mario a guy who is into no, involved with, with all I these details and understands how it's going to be done 
he seems to think it it doesn't make any sense. And to me, I, I kind of agree. So uh, we'll see we'll see how it all plays out. Which kind of leads us into our our next conversation, which is. Uh, the Big Ten football season may not be dead after all. Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren met with President Donald Trump earlier in the week, and afterward the president tweeted that the Big Ten was, quote, on the one-yard line in terms of returning to play. Since then, Dan Patrick, a, an apparent Big Ten insider now, has reported that the Big Ten is looking to return to play on October 10th if at least nine schools in a, can agree on the terms and COVID-19 protocols set forth. Skinny, what do you think of the Big Ten's potential return to action as soon as this fall? I think there's been a great groundswell among the, 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 the coaches, the players, parents, that I think is forcing the hand here. I think the vast majority are telling those individual presidents, you know what, I know you are the, making the rules to some degree, but your rules are silly and arcane, and, and, and we want our kids to, to make their own decision, and us as parents to make the decision on whether they play. I, I just go back to the knee-jerk reaction of the Big Ten to me, still had nothing to do with COVID and everything to do with the, 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 the possibility of unionizing. And that's probably not the right word because they, they weren't close to really doing that. But I, I go back to those demands. It's awful interesting that in a five-day period, you release a schedule, they come out with demands, and within a five days, the presidents go, no, we're done. And I don't think it had anything to do with COVID. It's just an easy thing for everybody to hide behind. And I think that's what they hid behind. And now the groundswell is – Stop hiding behind it. Our kids want to play. We want our kids to play. And I'm talking as parents. I mean, a lot of parents groups have taken up this fight. And hopefully at least at least the presidents would listen to that. And it seems like they're at least listening to that logic. If you want to go with the theory that this was more about the players list of demands and, and potentially gaining some power back from the universities, the, the NCAA overall, this would be the perfect way to play that if you were the Big Ten or any other big conference. Because right now what you have is a bunch of players and parents begging to play at all costs, willing to sign off on waivers, willing to give away power, willing to do whatever they have to do just to get back on the field and play again. It's like you take away all their privileges, and now they just want the basic ones back. Right. You know, they're uh, not yeah, asking yeah. for all the extra stuff anymore. They, right. they don't right. have new demands anymore. They just want to get back on the field and play some football and, and just be wholesome student athletes once again, right? <laughs> and, and so if you're the Big Ten, this is exactly what you wanted. And it's interesting that the whole – Donald Trump, uh, the Fed's being brought in this thing. You can say whatever you want about the politics of it all, but I think there is like some legitimacy to that. If I were the Big Ten or, or the Pac-12 or whoever, and I had said we can't play because it's not safe enough, and then there was this huge groundswell of, wait, we should actually play, and, and maybe there is some reason to believe like the, the advancements that's, that have made, made in COVID-19 testing that would allow you to safely play at this point. I think when you get to that point where you've, you've looked at all these things and you say, okay, we do have a chance to, to potentially play this year and it could be safe. Well, then you're going to want some assurances from a, a greater power that can tell you, okay, you're not going to be held liable for all this, right? Like you're, there aren't right. going to be all these lawsuits where you're going to get screwed. We need the CDC or, or whoever it is that can give us the power to say, yes, this is safe you are okay to do this and go on and play this season. I think that is what the Big Ten or any other conference who had canceled and said it's not going to be safe to play and now want to play, to go back on that, they're going to need big-time assurances from a higher power that says, you're not going to be hung out to dry here with lawsuits down the line. And I would imagine 
that's a lot of what that meeting with Donald Trump had to do with. Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. I, I just go back to the Big Ten messed this up from the get-go. They jumped the gun big time. And, and you just mentioned when we first started the podcast, start to look up, man. Guess what's starting? College football is starting. It's, it's starting. We're, we're starting college football. We may not finish it, but we're starting it. And it seems like it's going to go okay, maybe. I mean, we've had two weeks of Indiana high school football. It's gone pretty good. We've got ready to have week three. About ready to have week two of Ohio football. Um, it, that, that's been the funny argument, right, is how about the state of Pennsylvania where Penn State can't play but Pittsburgh can and is? How about in, in the state of Ohio where high school football and the Bengals and Browns can play but Ohio State can't? How about Indiana. in Iowa? How about in Iowa where Iowa, can, Iowa State can play football because they're in the Big 12 but Iowa can't? Yeah, in the state of Indiana, um, you know, Notre Dame can play football, but Indiana and Purdue can't. I mean, how goofy is that, dude? It, it makes zero sense. Uh, the, again, this is the issue with all of this stuff right now is there just doesn't seem to be a logic, a lot of logic backing up the decisions that have been made and the policies. I'm not saying one side is wrong or one side is right. I don't know enough, but I do see a lot of decisions being made that just completely lack logic. They make no sense based off of, the other statements that are coming out. And, and uh, yeah, I just think it, to have, have a situation in which you were playing high school football in all of these states, but not college football. Um, and, and granted, maybe you can't have tailgating. Maybe you can't have fans. I, I understand all of that. But to just not play the games when the high schools are already going to be playing, yeah, that silly. seems si si silly to me. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. All right, Skinny, let's take a look at a betting segment. Now we're re returning to football season. There's a lot going on. This weekend is going to be the, the first real big weekend I feel like we've had from a betting perspective. Obviously, we've had some fun with the, the, the NBA bubble. There's been some NHL stuff if you're into that. The return of the MLB has been great. But this is an event weekend. We've got Kentucky Derby in addition to all that stuff that's going on. And now you're getting to the point, too, where – NFL is just a week away. So you might want to start, you make the trip to, to the casino this weekend. If you go across the river to Indiana and you might want to start looking at some of your NFL futures while you're there, putting in your NBA bets, your Kentucky Derby bets, whatever you're going to be doing. So uh, skinny, we'll, we'll start with the NFL side of things. Um, oh, but before we do that, Rick, I do, I'm going to set an over under real quick for you, if you don't mind. And then, then we'll go, go on with this. Um, FC Cincinnati, the rest of the season, I'm going to set the over-under for total goals scored at one. You take the over or the under? I'm going to take the over, but you know what my favorite bet in the world is right now is first-half unders for FC Cincinnati games. It cashes like every game. Well, they don't score. They, they, never, they never score. Hell, they don't even get off shots. Of course not, but they also keep their, their entire team packed on the backside so yes. the other team can't score either. No, no doubt. I mean, so it's you just crazy. take the under for the game, and you're good. I yeah, mean, no it, question. Every single time. I'm, I'm talking about for the season now, man. I'm, yeah, I'm the gonna, season, I'm I think they'll the... get one more goal. I think they'll get more than one more goal. I think they'll score at least two or three. Well, you're an optimist. That's all I can say. Yeah. All right, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but that, it's just, it feels like every game zero, zero, because you know what? It is. It is. It absolutely is. But it's great from a betting perspective. If you, I, I tell you what, there's nothing like rooting for a zero, zero tie at halftime. I mean, that is just <laughs> the pinnacle of electric sports watching right there. No question. All right, Skinny, looking at the uh, NFL futures here, I, I always like, you know, the week out before you really get into games where you're breaking stuff down, and, and I'm not into fantasy, I like looking at the, the Super Bowl bets, the teams to win each conference, and seeing if there's any value in there. Um, I'll throw it out to you to see if you have any of your own picks, but I've got one that I wanted to ask you about specifically. I look down, and I see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at 14-1. to 1. 
I think they are probably a little overhyped, kind of getting some of that Cleveland Browns feel like they had a year ago. And that's they, a good number. Know, that's a good price, though. That's the thing. I thought because they had this hype with Tom Brady and with Gronk, and and uh, now they just they just brought in Leonard Fournette as their running back. Uh, with with all those names that they've brought in, I thought that that would really screw their odds up here. I thought they would be much lower than this at fourteen to one, and looking in the division or in the conference, really, I don't know that there's a clear favorite. I think I might be interested in taking a chance on a Tom Brady led team that already had a top five defense in the NFL. That's also added a bunch of weapons for Tom Brady to use. He's not the same Tom Brady, but he is still Tom Brady with something to prove. 14 to one is an interesting play there for me for the Bucks. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I think, to me, Kansas City is hand down, hands down the best team in the NFL, and not just because they're coming off a Super Bowl, but they're coming off a Super Bowl title with everybody back and, and guys being happy and being paid. Now, you can argue maybe that makes them complacent. I just don't see Patrick Mahomes being complacent. I think he wants to be the greatest of all time. Um, but you're not going to get value with them. I, I'm with you on Tampa. That's a great – to me, I, I wouldn't have realized they're 14-1. to 1. I, I know another team that, that you could argue they didn't help him in the offseason, but – I got a feeling Aaron Rodgers has something to prove too, right? I think he wants to show Green Bay. He, you know what? Don't stick it up my ass. I'll stick it up. I'll stick it up the rest of the NFLs instead. What, what are they, Rick? Twenty-eight to one. Yeah, I, I think those are my two plays. I think I'm going to take Green Bay at twenty-eight to one and Tampa at fourteen to one. I, I just don't think I can get any value out of the AFC. Um, maybe Cleveland, but I just can't buy that they're going to be a Super Bowl team. I, I just can't because they, they've never been one. So I can't. I can't do it, and I just don't think – I think there are two clear-cut favorites in the AFC, and it's everybody else, and it's Baltimore, and it, it's Kansas City in, in reverse order, Kansas City, then Baltimore. I just don't see – I don't see anybody else capable of winning the AFC, to be quite frank. So you're not going to get value there. I just think the NFC itself is extraordinarily wide open. There's a bunch of teams you can go with. Then that's my point with the Bucks. It's like when you look across there, it's like, who do you, who do you really like? The Cow- I mean, probably the two favorites in the whole conference – the Cowboys and the Eagles? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but they're both going to be 9-7-ish, and 10-6-ish. Right. and six-ish. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think they're good enough to win it. Sure, but me neither. So, I, yeah, I don't know who you'd really feel good about on the NFC side. So, if you're saying, hey, the Bucks have as good a chance as anyone to make it out of the NFC, then why the heck wouldn't you take a chance on them at 14-1 to 1 with Tom Brady leading the charge? I've got one more for you that I think is really interesting. The Tennessee Titans are 28-1. to 1. That is interesting. I'll give you that. They were, what, a play or two away from taking down the Chiefs in the conference championship last year? Yeah, and then the Chiefs end up steamrolling them as, as the game went along. Um, I mean, they lost by 11. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I just I, – I, I, don't, I don't think they're good enough to make that kind of run again. I think that was a little luck and pluck, but I, I see the value you're talking about. I just – I think Kansas City's just so head and shoulders above everybody, and Baltimore's a damn close second, and you just you get no value with it. I agree, I agree with the Kansas City thing. Um, if if you believe in Baltimore that much, then then I think it's tougher to look at anybody else in the AFC. But I also think in a year when COVID is going on, who knows what's going to happen? No, I, you know I, I mean, mean twenty eight to one is twenty eight to one, right? That's a pretty for a team that's it's legit. Fair square, yeah. Like they it's, don't. I don't understand how they have twenty eight to one odds. I know they didn't do much this off season, um, but. They you know, were they, still in the conference championship last year with a legit chance to beat the, the Chiefs. Yeah, you can argue they brought their quarterback back, whether you like Ryan Tannehill or not. He did do some good things last year, and they brought yeah. him back. And they, they did resign Derrick Henry. Yeah, yeah, they did resign Derrick Henry. So, um, 
Yeah, I just I, I'm 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 kind of with you though. I'm going to go to that other other conference just because I think Frisco takes a slide backwards. I still think they're a playoff team, but I don't. I, I don't think I, – I didn't think they were a great team last year. I thought they did great things, and they obviously proved that by going to the Super Bowl and almost winning it. But they feel like they take a step back. Seattle still feels like it's, it's, it's got to have Russell Wilson pull rabbits out of his hat every time he touches the football. And you can do that to some degree, but I don't know if you can do that enough anymore to, to win a conference. But, yeah, I mean, a, a, Tom, a, a, a very focused Tom Brady with weapons around him at that price, I, I think I'm with you. Game on. All right. Uh, what about NBA futures? We're now into the uh, the second round here of the playoffs, and I'm still alive with Houston. <laughs> the odds have changed a bit here for for some of these teams. Uh, the Clippers are now the listed favorites at plus two thirty. The Lakers are second at plus two seventy five, and then I think things get interesting after that. Uh, we had talked about the Celtics a couple weeks ago. Yep. And now they look a whole lot better. We were, we were on the fence about them saying, hey, they, they're playing as well as anybody in the bubble. Maybe they're an interesting play here. And now all of a sudden, they are the favorites in the East at plus 500. Yeah, I have buyer's remorse there, man, because they are playing so well. And you could almost see that when the playoffs started. It was almost like, uh-oh, they're really that good. And some of it was obviously playing a Philadelphia team that, that you could tell they were cashed out and their superstar is, is, is just a slug um, and, and doesn't want to doesn't want to dominate the way he should dominate and, and shame on him for that. And they were missing but, Ben Simmons too. Yeah, but but I think it was also proof positive that holy cow, Boston's got a lot of really nice pieces, don't they? They guard, they shoot, they got a lot of different weapons. They don't just need one or two guys. They got three, four, or five guys that can do some things. I'm I'm having total buyer's remorse there. I really am because and this was even before the Bucks fell down uh you know 2-0 to the heat. Um I just was never sold on on them being a, a could they get to the title game? Yeah, but I just didn't see them beat anybody from the West. I think Boston's actually capable of beating somebody from the West. I don't think they will. I still think the winner comes out of the West, but Boston to me is the only one capable of doing it. I just like, I'll be honest. The Lakers are still really talented. And when they flip, but there's such a two man show. They are. But when those two get going the way they have a few times already, Yes. There's nothing you can do. Like, no one in the NBA can compete with that that's left this year. That's right. There's no, like, Warriors-type team that can take them out. Uh, So when they get it going, which LeBron seems to have that ability when the moment, you know, when the moment steps up, he steps up. I I think that that the Clippers though, if it's the Celtics Clippers, I think the Celtics can beat the Clippers and I, I do too. Series, yeah, I, yeah, I do. I give you that. Yeah, I think there's a few things with the Celtics I like. They're a similar team to what they've had in the past, which has been a competitive team in the Eastern Conference. But you now have Kemba Walker, who those guys just yep. seem to love playing with that point guard, which I think is great when you have a playmaker that everybody loves that that in, is infectious in terms of his personality and the way he has fun and 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 bonds with his teammates. I think that does matter. Second, you have a coach in Brad Stevens who I think is as good as there is, and I think he's getting a lot out of his guys right now. He, they seem This group seems to be the most well-equipped to play in the bubble, and they're just the most together group right now. You look at the way they're playing yes. defense and they're communicating and they're switching off the ball and all this stuff. I've seen some great video clips on Twitter uh, of the way that they are guarding right now, and it just – it's different from the level of communication and buy-in that some of these other teams have at the moment. So the Celtics, even at plus 500. Now, if you would have done this a week ago, you would have gotten them at plus 1100. I know. I've got total buyer's remorse. I really do. Cause I just love the way they're playing. Yeah. But even at five to one, I don't think it's terrible odds because I feel like they, they are the team that's going to come out of the East at this point. And if it ends up being Celtics Clippers, 
you got a decent chance at five to one, I think. Now, after them, it's the Heat and the Bucks are both uh, seven to one odds, plus seven hundred. And any thoughts on the Heat and Bucks at this point? Because the Heat have a two zero lead. I mean, if any team has impressed the most, I think since the playoffs started, it's got to be the Heat, right? I, I mean, they they the- shot the daylights out of it. They're they're playing great defense. They're doing a lot of good things. But I also think part of what's going on in that series is I just you know when you when you really break the Bucks down. They have a great guy, and then what? Chris Middleton's the secondary guy? I mean, what else do they got? Yeah, I mean, you know, Eric Bledsoe is, is, a, is a guy. He's a player. I mean, he's, he's a starter in the NBA. I don't know that he's a, a, a good player. Um, I, I just – I think the Bucks are interesting all of a sudden at 7-1 to one odds, though, because they were like plus 250 or plus 275 right, a few right. weeks ago. So um, if you still ha- believe in the Bucks at all and, and think they can maybe turn around or Giannis finds himself all of a sudden, getting them at seven to one odds isn't the worst thing in the world here. But I just – I really don't have faith in this team. I'm with you. I was never fully bought in to them even coming into the playoffs. And uh, since they've been in the bubble, they just haven't been great. And that's why when I ended up making the future bet, Rick, I, I went with three teams out of the West that were not the Lakers and the Clippers. And, again, some of that was hoping that, you know, things would fall apart for, for, you know, I wasn't hoping for an Anthony Davis injury, but if it happens, they're dead in the water. I wasn't sure where the Clippers really were mindset wise. And, and they've kind of proven that a little bit, although I thought they showed some metal the way they, they finished off the series with Dallas, although it didn't, didn't hurt that Dallas lost Porzingis either. Um, yeah. That probably helped their cause a little bit. Big time. So that's why I ended, I ended up going with the teams out of the West, but the more I'm watching, man, the more I wish I had something on the Celtics. Yeah, I, 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 and and I didn't realize that five five to one may make me have to do something. I it's don't know still, why. I think it's still worth it at five to one if you're if you really believe in that team. The I wish when we were talking about it a week ago, I checked the odds after the show. They were eleven to one, and I didn't go to the casino that day, and I never ended up getting down on it. And I wish I would have at eleven to one because I yeah. I feel pretty good about the Celtics right now. All right, finally, Skinny, I wanted to ask you real quick. Kentucky Derby is Saturday. Believe it or not, it was postponed yep. earlier in the summer. Um, it has been moved to this Saturday, the 5th of September. How, give me something here. How do you like to bet the Derby? I'm not going to ask you for straight-up picks if you, if you don't have them. I don't know if you've handicapped the race at all yet. I'm not as much of a horse racing guy. I just kind of go blindly and, and have some fun, make some picks, and yell at a screen when they, they say you're off. Um, what, how do you like betting the Derby? Yeah, I'm primarily a pick three, pick four player, which is you, you, you are trying to pick the, the sequence of races, like races eight, nine, and 10, or eight, nine, 10, 11, one, two, three, whatever. Um, but just for the Derby itself, I, I think for a lot of people that maybe are, are a novice to it, you can do a couple of things. Um, uh, you, you, can play, you can play Superfectas, which is you're picking the horses in order one through four, and maybe especially this year where you have such a stick-out favorite and tis the law at three to five, I, I don't think it's worth it to bet that horse to win because you get no value. But if you think the horse is that good, you can put him on top and then put, you know, a couple, three horses in second, couple, three horses in third, maybe four or five horses in, in, in the fourth position. And it costs you about maybe 40 or 50 bucks to get maybe, uh, you know, anywhere from three to four to $500 back with a stick out favorite on top. I think the other way though, too, is, um, and I've always liked this because the pools are so large in the Derby. The, the place payouts are always really good. Um, usually the place payouts are, are about, if you want to do the math, about half of what a, a horse um, pays to win. So let's say a, a four to one shot pays $10 to win. Usually his place payout somewhere around four or five bucks. In the Derby, sometimes that can be as high as $6 just because so much money's in the pools. It's so spread out. And especially this year, I think there's going to be so much money on Tis the Law in the win and place spots and probably even the show spot 
that if you can somehow pick a horse and get lucky that tis the law doesn't finish first or second, your place payout's going to be extraordinarily high. Um, I mean, you can get a horse, if a horse goes off at 20 to one, you may get a 24 to $26 place payout if tis the law doesn't hit the board. So that to me is a, is, is a nice bet. That way you don't have to have your horse win. He just has to finish second. I would hope that you would also put a little bit to win on a long shot if you're going to do it. I think that's the nice thing about this year. Again, if you don't want to bet tis the law, th- there's only two other horses in single digits odds in the morning line. Now, it doesn't mean it's going to end up that way, but it's probably going to end up that way. Um, you know, the third choice in the race is eight to one. And you drop all the way down to the fourth choice in the race at 15 to one. I mean, you got a lot of value in there. And, and again, if, if you don't think that's value, if you think you look in, in those that, that follow it enough that know who tis the law is and tis the law has been dominant so far, if you think he's that dominant and, and that much of a stick out, then play the superfecta. Put him on top and put a handful of horses underneath him in the second, third, and fourth spots. All right. That's good stuff. I appreciate that. Um, you got anything else on the betting segment before we move to our Ask Any Anything questions? I'm going to ask you again, over under for FC Cincinnati for the rest of the season, one goal. I, I'm going over. I think Yop Stom will figure it out, man. He'll get them going. As, as long as they keep holding everyone, nothing, nothing at half, I'm fine. I don't care what they do. I know. You're, you're raking it in at that point, bro. Yep, I love it. All right. Ask any anything. People send us questions online. I pose them to you, and then we talk about them. So All right. Let's start do it. Here. Our guy Dave says, any great moments in a press box where someone got obnoxiously loud? He used to work as an SID in college and was always threatened not to react during games because it bothered the writers, reporters. My, my friend Butch, Jeff Hobson from Bengals.com, during games, he, um, he'll listen to the broadcast um, as the game's going on, so he'll have earphones in. And I, care, I think it was in Pittsburgh a couple years ago, and everybody laughed because he's such a likable guy, and he's just a character, and, and he, he's a good guy. And it, it, the Bengals were – I think they were trying to run out the clock or something and get a first down, and they threw a couple of passes, and he just blurted out the top of his lungs, run the ball! And you could tell everybody, like, popped up and looked around like, what in the world was that? And I don't think – you know, when you got earphones on, you don't realize how loud you are. He was in and his I, own world. And I shot around. I looked around. And he kind of looked at me like, oh, my God, I just said that out loud, didn't I? Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've got that. You can occasionally get the – you get the guy of the, the, the no cheering in the press box, which I, I, it, it, that's never really bothered me. I don't do it. I, there is a decorum there, but you do occasionally you get somehow Johnny Joe gets a press credential. We don't know how he gets a pre- press credential. And then he cheers. And, and there's a couple of guys in the media that I know that just, they cannot oh, stay. Oh, they, yeah. Yeah. They can, they cannot stand that whatsoever. Uh, but no, Jeff, Jeff's is my favorite outburst of all time. The one thing about sports journalists is that there, there are definitely some who uh, have a higher sense of purpose. And those types of guys absolutely despise the decorum things, like yes, cheering in a yes, press box. Yes. We have a couple of those in Cincinnati. Yes, and I do. have to say, I, I don't really care if it happens, but now when those guys are in the press box, I usually root for someone to do it because I yes. love seeing those guys lose the minds. They I'm can't with handle. you. I mean, their whole hey, day is ruined. They can't do yes. their work at that point. You, you and I know who they are. Yeah, and it's so good. It's so good. <laughs> All right. Uh, what podcast shows are your go-to for sports-related content or otherwise? Uh, as goofy as it sounds, even though I enjoy recording podcasts, I just don't have a lot of time to listen to anything. I, 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 I don't. Um, so I really – I guess I, I can tell you I just – I just don't. If I'm in the car, I'm listening to sports talk radio. If I'm mowing the yard, I'm probably listening to a game or sports talk radio more than I'm listening to, 
to a podcast. That's well, probably he, shame he did on say me. shows too. Are there are your favorite uh, like sports talk guys or TV shows at all for sports stuff? Mm, I, I watch Get Up, even though I think Mike Greenberg's a giant douchebag. Um, <laughs> just because I like I like the fact the way they do the show of of uh, getting getting panelists for different topics, and and sometimes I don't agree with the panelists, but at least they've got some panelists on there, and it makes for some interesting discussion. So I guess that's for me, um, especially during what was going on with all the news that seemed like it was breaking every morning with with uh, different sports leagues and sports entities that kind of became a go-to show for me it's become less and less because like i said he 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 literally has the most punchable face of anybody i've ever i've ever seen it's just it's completely i just i almost want to reach to the tv and just punch him right in the face <laughs> i mean you're not wrong you're not i know wrong. i'm not wrong i realize yeah. that yeah uh that's our guy nick asking he also said uh no we're busy but any chance we'll do a quick hitter pod post Bengals sundays um, I would say the issue there is that you're working from like 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. usually on Sunday. Yeah, although it's going to be a little different this year just because um, because of less locker room access. Less, I mean, we're not going to travel. Nobody's traveling this year. So um, I'll have to chew on that, Rick. Maybe, maybe we will. I mean, I'm not against it. I'm available. Yeah. Um, I obviously love watching the, the Bengals games. I'm much more yeah, of a can... fan from that perspective, but I'm um, more than willing to do it with you if you are interested. Yeah, so that's something yeah, we'll talk I, about, Nick. I, 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 Nick, I appreciate that actual kind of the, 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 the bug in the ear on that. I'm, I'm gonna, I, I think we might be able to pull that off. All right. Well, we, we will discuss it, and we appreciate the uh, suggestion, Nick. Yes. Uh, uh, Dave says, having a thermostat debate with family tonight, I'm perfectly fine with the AC set at 74. They feel that it's too warm. What is the optimal thermostat setting in the Skinner household, and is there a family dispute over it? Oh, oh, oh my gosh. There, uh, there was one last week where it was one of those nights where it was really humid out. And, you know, most houses are insulated. Ours is too. But you can, you can tell sometimes on those nights where it's just it's hot, it's sticky, you've been outside. There's nothing worse than when you can't get comfortable and it's too hot. So I got up and tiptoed down the hall, and it was set at 74. And I'm like, golly, turn it down to 70. And, of course, then the next morning, I got the, I had to put an extra blanket on because it got so cold. Oh, I guess you went down and changed the thermostat. You're damn right I did because guess what? Then I could fall asleep. <laughs> so, yeah, for me, it's 70, maybe even 69, 68. For the rest, it's 74. It's a, it's a big fight in the house. My, my, when I go over to my daughter's um, house and she and her fiancé getting married in October um, – they bought a house about six or eight months ago. Um, she keeps it at like 68. And it's like, gosh, I feel like I'm in heaven in your house. I, I, can I live here? I want to live. And she, she does not want me living there, by the way, either. So there's, there's that I'm shocked issue. to hear that. Yeah. 74 is just absurd, man. That's just too damn hot. Yeah. Well, so you're on the opposite side of our guy, Dave, because he likes it at 74. He says the rest of the family thinks that's too warm. I got to say, I side with the rest of his family here. I think yeah, 74 is definitely too warm. Uh, it, it's interesting, though. I don't know that you can set an exact number on it for everyone's house because everyone's house is very different in terms yes, of correct. That's, how that's it's correct. in and how yeah, it no, spreads out. Like uh, in my old house, I used to keep it set at 68 at all times. And, um, and I will say this, Rick, in, in our house, it's a, we have a two-story uh, two-story house. It's kind of a split ranchy type house. I will say where my, my wife works, um, her home office is downstairs and it is about six to eight degrees colder downstairs. There's no question about that. So I, I get it. But I said, listen, when you get up, that's fine. Turn the thermostat up. I don't mind at 74 during the day. That's okay. But at night, 
there's nothing worse than, than your legs being on fire at night, right? Where you yeah. just can't get caught. It's awful. I'm a sweater is the problem. I'll just, I'll drench myself if it's hot. And I'm, because I have to have a cover over me. I can't sleep without a cover. So it's a whole deal. Yeah, I, I got to have it cool at night. But I, I used to have it set at 68 in my old house. In our house now, uh, I, I feel like 71-ish is fine. So it's just, uh, it's well, just I will tell you, when, when I travel with the Bengals on, on, on uh, you know, away games, that, that Saturday night in a hotel when you've gone out and, and, and kind of hit the town and all that stuff, it is so awesome to come back to your room where you've set it at 65 and you oh, just yeah. dive, dive under the cupboards and you just hibernate for the next eight hours. It's the best night of sleep. I, I, I get eight really good nights of sleep all year. It's usually the eight nights I'm on the road with the Bengals. Yeah, that's exactly what I do in the hotel too. You're not paying that bill. Crank no, it. it's right. Right. Exactly. Crank yeah. it down, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dave Slater, our guy says going to go on a wings hunt. Where should he be going in NKY and in Cincinnati? Uh, you're more of a wing connoisseur than I am. I, I've told you, man, I, I, I just love the, the, I love Buffalo wild wings or I, I always get them all wrong. The one in Crestview Hills. Cause I love their sauce. Yep. I, Buffalo I can, wings I, and rings. I can, yeah, I could honestly drink their sauce. I've said that before that it's hands down for me. And I'm telling you, I know nobody likes to hear it and I haven't gone there in forever. To me, Hooters wings are still really good. They're ah. greasy. They're crunchy. They're really good. It's different. I just, yeah, it's just different. I guess yeah. that's the, that's the right. That's you the right can't get there. Hooters breaded wings anywhere else. Like no one else right. has that type of a wing. So I'm not going. Right. That's definitely not my favorite. I don't think it's the best quality of wing. It's kind of gross, in, in fact, with all the grease. But occasionally, it is something completely different. I like it. I like having that. Yeah. They're medium wings yeah. with bread, all that. Um, yeah. Uh, in Kentucky, you gotta go Midway Cafe to me. That's the best. Yeah, you've told. I've, I've not, and I know Midway Cafe. And I, yep, I've not. I used to go there. It's funny. I used to go there for lunch when I worked at the Recorder newspapers because they actually uh, were. They had an office right there at the same place, but I never got the wings. So I'm gonna have to do that then. Yeah, those are smoked and then flash fried. I believe is how they do it. It's like a little hybrid deal. It's 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 something different too that I don't think I've had really anywhere else. Well, and I gotta go. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Cut. I gotta go one more play. Dick Richard Dickman's wings at, yeah. at the original Dickman's. Or fa- I've not had the wings at Smoke Justice yet. Um, I usually have only had, a, I think, a cocktail at Smoke Justice. I'm not sure I've eaten there, but I've heard nothing but great things about their smoked wings. But Dickman's wings too. I, I could drink that sauce as well. That they're fabulous. Yeah, Dickman's is just your classic hot wing. Just your yep. normal buffalo wing, like buffalo you know, hot sauce and butter in it, and, a, and yep. a good chicken wing. It's it's a solid buffalo wing smoke justice has a really good smoked wing i i definitely go there a decent amount and when i'm there i usually get the the smoked wing so i would i would recommend it even though it's not probably not my top uh five uh but it's but it's up there yeah um, i go Dick, dickman's is number two for me behind the the buffalo wild wings and it's it's a close number two I, those would be my two go-to for sure the other spot i i highly recommend might be my my uh favorite it's right up there with midway cafe is o'brien's and you can get that in, in Ohio or in Northern Kentucky and Newport. Um, and their, their wings are really good. I like doing – they, they have a breaded wing too. It tastes nothing like Hooters. But I like getting them breaded with uh, spicy garlic sauce. So I recommend that. Okay. Nice. Also try their uh, garlic tots. Comes with a uh, sriracha Ooh. mayo that is fantastic. Yeah, I, I, my, my buffalo wing sauce has always got to be like just regular buffalo wing sauce. I'm not a big garlic guy, but I do like the concept of the garlic tots though. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, they're very That's good. That's pretty good. Yeah. All right. If you could coach a non-popular sport, for example, cricket, racquetball, ping pong, et cetera, what would be the sport and what would be your proud coaching moment, like in basketball that you take pride in the charge? <laughs> um, I'll go ping pong, and I think, I think I'd take pride in the change of pace serve. 
you know, the one where you just kind of, you give them kind of an okey doke and then I've got to kind of change a pace serve where I kind of flip it up. And usually instead of hitting it forehand, I'll hit it backhand with a little bit of spin and it softly goes over the net and that kind of throws your opponent off for a moment. You, I also miss that serve a lot, but that, that to me is the one it's that, that kind of that change of pace serve would be the, be the go-to coaching move. I, uh, I would do bowling and Ooh. I would just be the coach who just lives for picking up the 10 pin spare. Just, that's, 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 to me, that's like a free throw, you know, like we can't have, we're only recruiting guys if they can pick up the 10 pin spare. I will tell you, I, I, I was, I used to actually carry two bowling balls, Rick, when I bowled competitively. Yeah, you got to have a curve um, and a straight ball. I did. I had to have one for the 10 pin and literally I would just stand on the far left and throw it as hard as I could right at it and throw the straight ball. I, I, yeah, it was, it, 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 it I like that. That's, that's a, that's a good one, dude, because that is not, that, that can be a difference maker. That, that can change your score sheet. When you leave a ring 10 pin and you're pissed because it should have been a strike and then you don't pick up the 10 pin on top of it, it ruins the day. It just, oh, it, ruins, it ruins the whole, that, that whole game. It's the absolute worst. And, and to be quite honest with you, I struggle with it, but I, uh, yeah, I, that would be my thing. I'd love to coach and then just be recruiting nonstop guys who are big 10-pin guys. You know, they no, don't, honestly, I, don't I, drive I think, the pocket well, but they just pick up that spare every freaking time. I, I swear, I, I, I went from about in high school about a 185, 190 to a consistent 200 average. Not to brag. When I started picking up the 10-pin. No, when I started picking up the 10-pin. There'd be it's times you'd, you'd bury three in a row, and that third one, you just stand there, and you're, it's almost it, it almost laughs at you, right? It's like – damn, I just buried that. How in the world are you still standing? I, that probably was the best shot I threw all, all game long. And you're, you're still standing and staring and laughing at me. And then on top of it, I'm not going to pick you up. Right. Yeah. That it just it kills you. That just sucks. Uh, this is, what kind of secret society would you like to start? <laughs> secret society. Oh my heavens. I have no earthly idea. The question's just, I love it. Like these people are locked in now at this point with this segment. Remind me, I've got a road rage incident too. You're going to love here. Okay. The podcast is over. Perfect. Uh, maybe the secret society of, 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 of road ragers. Perfect. Oh yeah. You guys could all drive like a biker gang. Just get like, Correct. get on your ass and you just lose your mind and beat Exa- them up together. Yes. Yes, exactly. The secret society of road ragers. I like that. RRA road ragers anonymous. Get the hell off our road. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. It. Well, we'll have bumper need, stickers and little. Yeah, you little need uh, pins. biker jackets. Yeah, exactly. Right. Get the hell off our road. <laughs> Get off my ass. Yes, exactly. Exactly. All right. Back to school question from Megan. She says, "If you're in a class with all Reds and Bengals players, who are you cheating off of, and who's cheating off of you?" <laughs> Uh, well, probably a Reds player is cheating off of you because that's what baseball players do, right? That's how yeah. the Houston Astros won. Uh, right. There's no question in my mind. It's a, it's, it's, it's a Bengals player, and it's an offensive lineman. They're the smartest guys going in, in any sport. In any sport known to mankind, the smartest people are offensive linemen in pro football. I, I think part of pro football, too, is what have those guys all done? They've all gone to college, right? Not every yeah. baseball player went to college, right? So, and, and I'm telling you, if you ever have conversations with offensive linemen – Almost to a T. I'm not sure I've ever, I've ever walked away from a conversation with an offensive lineman and go, man, that guy ain't very bright. I mean, almost every single one is just a smart guy to talk to, um, not only about their craft, just to talk to in general. So I'm going to go, I'm cheating off a Bengals player, and it's a Bengals offensive lineman. Is there, but there's no specific one you're going to single out as like the smartest guy in Cincinnati right now in terms of um, athletes? Uh, <laughs> I tell you what, Trey, Trey, Trey Hopkins is up there. What's that? Too bad Ryan Fitzpatrick isn't here still. He went to Harvard. People that's, that, yeah, that, that. that's a good point. I tell you what, Trey Hopkins is a pretty smart guy. I, I I wouldn't mind cheating off a test of Trey Hopkins. 
You know what I'm going to throw out there is Trevor Bauer. I think that dude. I don't know that See, he has I, good I, grades, but that. I, but he's 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 intelligent. No, he's the one that's cheating off of you, dude. Because he, <laughs> no. he's because he because he's clever enough to do it. He's he's the he's Eddie Haskell. He's going to well, figure that. He's he's got his way. Honestly, he's you are right. He'd bring a cheat sheet. He'd be the guy that would be looking down at his palm where he wrote all the answers on his palm that he can't even read anyway. No, you're right about that. He's the guy who is plenty gifted in school but would rather spend his time figuring out how yes. to get around and get yes. one over on the man than, uh, yes. than actually putting his time into studying. So exactly. bad choice by me. We're back to Trey Hopkins. You win. <laughs> all right. Uh, most overrated sports movie or movies? Mm, I'm, I'm going to get crushed, but you know what it is for me. What is it? Hoosiers. Sucks. Really? Hate it. Worst movie ever, because it's it's terrible acting. Just the most ridiculous, cliche, corny BS ever. People don't even know why they like the movie Hoosiers. It's terrible. They just like it because it's basketball and it's corny and it's nostalgia. Like there's nothing about it that is a good movie. I don't know. I I like Hoosiers. I've got two. It's the one of them is that god awful movie with kevin costner where he plays the gm of the cleveland is that draft day or something like that i haven't seen it but just yeah. just horrific just awful it's one of the worst it, it is truly one of the worst ever I'll tell you another one i think it's another kevin costner movie it, wait, late- is that overrated though do people like draft day um i don't know yeah that's a good point but i thought you said worse did he say overrated <laughs> no, he or said worse? most overrated sports movie oh, most overrated yeah mm. yeah i was gonna say well, the the other I think there was another Kevin Costner, but again I don't think it was rated. It's the one where he plays a pitcher in the midst of a no hitter or a perfect game, and it just drags on and on and on and on and on. Um, yeah, most sport. I, I mean, if if I'm into a sports movie, I mean, like I love Slapshot for the comedy. I love no, like the it's like the look for the love of the game for the love for of the, the game. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It just all just horrific. Just that was overrated because it just. It, Kevin Costner is a big baseball uh, movie guy, huh? I'll tell you another one. Well, it, it was, I think this was a Dennis Quaid one where he played the LSU football player. Um, all, everybody's all American. That was awful too. Um, oh, any given Sunday for sure. Any given, oh my God almighty, the football scenes were so over the top. <laughs> Al, Pacino, like Al, Pacino, Al, Al Pacino as a coach was a joke. I mean, just horrible. cocaine's off of boobies? You don't like that? Well, I like Elizabeth Ber- Berkeley naked. I'm not going to lie about that. That was that was pretty good. Um, yeah, that's just no, no, thank you. And then um, oh, there's another football movie. Um, oh, the replacements, the one with I think Keanu Reeves plays a quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Just dreadful. That's I just, saw that when I was in like middle school, and I feel like it was okay back then, but I could see why it would suck now. And, and I'll give you a little bit of Hoosiers, but but it's it's honest. I, the basketball isn't great, and for me, when you're going to do a sports movie, I need to see a little realism. Um, and I thought they actually they actually played basketball pretty well in that movie. Hoosiers is trash. We'll just leave it. Uh, right. I'm, dis- Kevin, I'm, dis- I'm disappointed talk- in you. Can we talk about the career of Kevin Costner as a baseball actor? Bull Durham, okay. Field of Dreams, For the Love of the Game, The Upside of Anger, which I've never heard of. Apparently, Never heard of that one either. One of his finest performances as a retired baseball player and alcoholic who gets involved with a single mom neighbor. Shout out to, huh. shout out single to Costner. Single mom neighbor. Yeah. yeah. The Postman, which – that does is that a baseball movie? I don't think so. No. Oh, uh, starred Costner as a slumping slugger and notorious bad boy. So there you go. Uh, you, 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 you you realize Kevin Costner almost cost Cal Ripken his uh, his consecutive game streak, right? So I the story goes. I didn't realize that. Yeah, there, there's a there's a great urban legend out there that that one night when the uh, that Kevin Costner um, apparently was maybe sleeping with Cal Ripken's wife, and Cal oh. got mad and they got into a fist fight and the 
and Cal was not going to be able to play that night, and somehow the Orioles canceled the game due to a quote-unquote power outage. <laughs> Go look it up. It's, it's an urban legend, but I, right. it's, it's rooted in some truth, too. That's fantastic. All right, finish a league of their own. Deadpool, uh, Robin Yount, uh, Yount, Yount, Robin Yount, Robin Yount, yeah, Robin Yount, uh, Prince of Brewers, uh, a biopic, and uh, Shagging Flies and Bull Tijuana. So that's ten baseball movies that Kevin Costner made throughout his career. And I'd only heard about five of them. I know a ridiculous stretch there by Costner. So let's go to this. Kevin Costner baseball movies are all overrated. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not all, is, not all of them. Most Bull of Durham's them. the best. Yeah, Bull Dur- yeah, Field of, Dream- Field of Dreams. I'm, I cry every time. I, I, I do. I'm a sap. Big, okay, this is from our guy Dan to wrap it up. Biggest nepotism failure. Dick Williams, David Bell and the current Reds, the Bengals of the 90s, or Tom Brenneman and the Reds? That's a great question. That's so well phrased. I'm going to go. I'm going to go Bengals. I, I mean, it has that, to be Bengals yeah, of the 90s. Yeah, it has yeah. to be. Yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna go Bengals, but that's that is that is so well phrased um, because all of them apply. How about is there a D all of the above? <laughs> yeah, yeah that that would be the answer there. Just I mean that is the most Cincinnati way possible. Yes, yes. All right, let me let me wrap this up with a road rage one for you. It happened to me uh, the other day. I went and played golf over in uh, at Aston Oaks, kind of on the west side of Cincinnati, and then so I drove drove back home down River Road and then up. Uh, up to Lawrenceburg and um, was coming that way to get off the exit. I get off at the Hebron exit to get to our house. So at the Hebron exit, and I'm sure you've gotten off that way before, right? Where you're coming from Indiana and had to get off there yeah. to maybe like, okay. Well, if you know, when you come off, there's an extreme right turn lane. There's another lane that eventually, as you get up to this light, you have to quickly merge left in order to, because that lane ends. And so you kind of have to wait till there's really no traffic coming to turn. So a car is approaching me. I could have turned into the turn lane, but then I'm stuck in the turn lane, right? And you don't have much room to get out of the turn lane. Right. So person behind me honks, and I'm thinking, that's stupid because here comes a car. Another car comes, and as I thought about going out, the car starts to merge over. I'm like, I can't go. Now they, now they lay on the horn. And I'm like, what are you doing, jackass? Can you not see? So I finally pull out. Well, it turns out it's a mom in a minivan, she then decides she's going to do what she asked me to do. Well, as she's doing it, a guy is merging over to get in the turn lane, almost wrecked into him. She peels out around him, comes up to, to alongside me, flips me off. I'm thinking, ma'am, what did I do? I, 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 you're the idiot who didn't understand that you couldn't do what you just tried to do. So then I decide, you know what? Screw you. I follow her for the next three miles down <laughs> Camp Ernst Road, and you can tell now she's getting a little nervous. She's getting a little scared because – uh, at one point, she wouldn't even look at me. And then she kind of like shook her fist at me, like, leave me alone. And finally, we came to a light where I could turn. We were side by side. And I just blew her a kiss, and she flipped me off, and I, I took off the other way. I just wanted her to sweat it a little bit, like, oh, my God, I'm being followed by a crazy man here. Well, she was, for one. I mean, I think that yeah. you are a crazy man, and that is a crazy move. But uh, I do like the blowing the kiss and getting flipped off ending. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was that was a that was that was the perfect ending. That's how I wanted it to end. To be honest with you. Yeah. No, I think that's exactly what you were going for, and you got it. Yep. Exactly. Congratulations. Yep. All right. Well, that's it. That's all we all got. Right. All good, man. Appreciate it. Uh, for Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skill. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Skinny Podcast. Keep the questions coming. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Skinny Podcast.